Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Honestly Speaking podcast. We got Farbs, Jim, and Eddie. Today we got a special guest, Ife E.K., just the political strategist and all-around badass. We're touching on a lot of stuff today. Uh, we're going to get into Obama and the generational divide, black women and their history of labor, the political rundown, and last but not least, Kaepernick and the whole workout debacle. Um, so you know what to do. Kick back, listen up, and enjoy. to the pod iffy i was about to say your voice is really deep so yeah the perfect <laughs> perfect <laughs> that's voice. I, that's what we say i'm so glad i didn't have to wait to be like what <laughs> but good good morning i should turn it down but well, welcome welcome this morning it's 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 relatively early on a tuesday yeah. we appreciate you coming out to, to chop it up with us um, and then we got like, I guess a lot of topics to cover. There's just so much. When is there not a lot going on, right? right. Um, and you probably just have a good reference point for every single thing that's going on. <laughs> Before we get into that, you know, we're not going to just sort of quiz you to death. Um, you know, we wanted to learn a little bit more about just you personally. So I know you're working on like a gajillion things. You probably don't want to talk about all of them. Don't. Um, I do not. But what's some of the, uh, can we get sort of a, a basic, maybe a abridged background? Um, uh, so first of all, thank y'all for having me here. Um, I, let me see, my background is in quite a few things. Um, I am an attorney by training, but also a researcher. Um, and, um, I'm a professional problem solver, disruptor, wow. um, like Olivia Pope. Fuck her shit up. Or, um, <laughs> That's definitely Olivia Pope. Right there. Yeah. And um, have worked in various forms of like government and politics, but also nonprofit and movement work. And right now, um, I'm a co-founding partner of a team that does, I guess, problem solving professionally, social impact firm called Think Rubik's. And um, we've done some really dope work in electoral politics um, in Alabama. Shout out to my co-partner, Dewana Thompson, creator of Woke Vote, um, which really was like the difference in the Roy Moore, Doug Jones race. Um, and But also in the Florida rest, uh, restoration of rights. Um, so just like we, we, we're betting on black people, poor people, um, people that have been doing the work and underlooked, um, and also specifically in the work that I do, also advancing equity in multiple spaces, including workspaces. Um, I think traditional DNI is trash. Um, so how we look at creating culture um, in in workspaces and, and institutions really requires having a really strong. Uh, understanding of how oppression and intersectionality works. Um, and, uh, you know, I get a lot of people that ask me, like, why do you do so much, like, what would be considered uh, DNI or EDI stuff? And I think the simple thing is, as a black woman, our relationship with labor is complicated. And it's really important that women, um, differently abled people, immigrant communities, those on the margins are. Um, getting what they're supposed to for the work that they're doing. Um, so I don't see it as trying to um, enter this crowded space of like DNI consultants as much as like really focused on equity work. So that's that's really my background is like how to advance equity um, and recognizing that even if even if your goal is equality, you can't get there without equity. When you when you say um, black women's history with uh, labor is complicated. Mm -hmm. Can you expand on that a little bit? I mean, our, you know, and this is the 400th year of, you know, uh, the first documented 20 Africans being here in the United States. Um, and it's also the 400th year of our first version of what would be Congress, right? The Virginia, you know, House of Burgesses, um, I think that's what it was called. I, oh, I, do, I, I should know class. this. I teach. I also teach at Lehman, so yeah. um, it's really important to understand the origin. That ever since our bodies have been here, legislation has been there trying to make us less than human. Yep. 
Um, and so for black women, um, literally not protected, you know, the, the origin of white women's rights in this country is fucked up too, right? Um, with with the, um, if you understand that the way that the protection of white women's bodies was also done to manipulate white women to feel like they were protected, but it was really about the power of those that were in power, right? Yeah. Them sustaining power. But that being said, even in that manipulative way, black women were never envisioned to have any type of liberty or freedom. Even after the Civil War, black men were at least considered <clears throat> when it came to the 15th Amendment and the 19th Amendment, black women were still um, part of the suffrage movement, but also told to march at the back of the suffrage movement and still did not acquire their, their full right to vote. So um, our, if we look at our, I did a talk last week where I um, explained to folks that if you look at our bodies as actual work sites, then I think you would recognize the the generational trauma of what it means to like bend over to pick up cotton, but also bend over from Massa, right? And like, that's a 24 seven job. And- um, It's a gruesome description. But it's still but happening, yes, right? Yes, because sure. we, this is why we don't flinch when we see somebody like my mother working 90 hours a week or um, here in New York City where it takes three buses for some family members to get to work, yeah. right? And, just to and make so, $7 an hour. Just to, just to make minimum wage at both jobs, right? And um, we don't, it, it, it's not because we're all evil. It's because we've actually just inherited the dismissal of how much we work. Um, and it doesn't change... Um, when you're more educated. There's a lot of research about how women, I tell people all the time, I have four degrees just so I can argue with people and yeah. them not to tell me to, that you don't know what you're doing. Right? Which one of them being an attorney? Yes. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just pointing that out. And that. like, it's not even special, right. except for like, first of all, the tools, um, it's interesting when people say you can't use the oppressor's tools to dismantle the system, which I, I, I agree that you can't use. I, I like to think that you can't use the oppressor's tactics, but you do need to understand the oppressor's tools. Facts. So even Facts. if you don't go to law school, um, because we have a lot of legislators that don't go to law school, but the way our even policies are written, you know, on a local level to a national level, it still has a cadence that's very connected to like our American jurisprudence, 100%. right? For me, I don't see law as a possessive thing. I see it as how many communities can you go to and empower them mm. with how to create policy, how to um, disrupt policy, or how to be aware aware of the dog whistles when you hear like, no, that doesn't sound right. So as of last year, our team uh, launched what we call the Black Policy Lab. It's an experiment of how we bring people together to learn about more than just talk about movement, but how to make movement into policy and then also how to disrupt and organize beyond just like get out the vote. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I, I've always viewed the law as one of these. I almost went to law school and yeah. I look up to a lot of attorneys. I've always viewed the law here mm -hmm. as like the main tool, mm -hmm. referring to tools as the main tool to keep oppressed people oppressed. Yeah. Um, it's the best method they can use. I can't help but to go into this question since Hold I'm already here. I just wanted to yeah. 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 You, you mentioned that the um, policy-making um, uh, um, organization that you started. Do you do you do you talk with Ibram Kendi at all? Because he has like the anti-racist. Um, I don't. They literally do the I, I same thing, right? I don't speak with him. Um, I know he has amazing books. I use one of his books. Um, in, in my classes, and he now has the How to Be an Anti-Racist that yeah. is going, you know, quite, quite viral. Um, I super respect his work and his ability to put trauma into language. Um, and, excuse me, I, I don't know to the extent our work is similarity. I do think it's liberation work. Um, and uh, what we're committed to, like, after, so after being on the ground. I had done human rights work before Ferguson, but after Ferguson, I think what I've learned, I've learned more from people about the policies that they want to see than from attorneys that come in, or outsiders, even well-intentioned people, right? So like yeah. really starting with what is, what is the life that you know you deserve? And then how do we put that into 
legislation mm-hmm. is is or or not even legislation. How do we how do we demand and get it? Like yep. how do we effectuate it is actually what's important to me. And it's interesting to see the empowerment of individuals recognizing that um, not just we can build, 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 but we can also tear down. Like mm-hmm. there are things, there are ways to quickly identify, especially with all the tools that we have. Um, from the internet, from our phone, there are ways we can investigate, like, you know, does maternity leave apply to everyone? Is there a human rights issue when we live in a city um, or in places where gentrification is not putting key places like Brownsville and, um, you know, um, South Bronx in um, at, at, at a higher level of concern? Um, and what can we do to actually amplify not just that something's wrong, but that, like, we have from young people to immigrant communities, regardless of you know citizenship status, that are aware that they need electeds that are actually going to care about and prioritize their lives, but also not elected. So even when you said the law, like when I speak to my when I speak to my students, we have to recognize that like culture is built with like multiple things, like advancing similar similar stuff, right? So it was. It, when, it was the law, but it was also the church, and yeah. it was also medicine, and it was also science. All of those things were dominated by the same people yep. at the formation of, at, at, and definitely media. Yeah. So when all of those things are happening, like the best way I can describe it is in 1619, the person who was the attorney, his brother was the preacher, yeah. right? His yeah. cousin was the doctor, yeah. and his other one was the art teacher, you know? Yeah. And they're literally creating yeah. the version of the world they want to see, yeah. which is really important. So it's not just the laws, but it's also birth of a nation. It's yeah. not just Dred Scott. It's also like using enslaved black women's bodies to be the beginning of what is our medical field of OBGYN yeah. today. Yeah. Like those things were all happening at the same time. Yep. So to dismantle it doesn't mean just electing people that look like you. It actually means going to schools like here in New York City and being like, we're the most segregated school system, you know, in the, yeah. in the country. And it's not just about integration. It's also about are we bringing teachers that love our babies? Are yep. we bringing, you know, do we have cops, more cops than counselors? Like, yep. You, you almost have to attack it for multiple ways. And community members, there are some people that don't think that v- voting is the answer. Yeah. There are other ways for them to be involved. So that, sure. that, I think, is the attitude that we're trying to at least experiment with. Oh, you've hit it all. One of the phrases I love often is um, those closest to the issues mm-hmm. are closest to the solution, mm-hmm. though, ought to be closest to the power. Um, I wanted to circle back to... This is something that literally gnaws at me every day. The loyalty of black voters, particularly black women. Um, I mean, the last election cycle, I think black men, I'm paraphrasing, the numbers were around like 86% or something for for Hillary and the Dems. Mm -hmm. Black women were over 90 something percent. I mean, that's that's been the trend. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, I I view black women as the only group of voters, when they go in the booth, they think about humanity and they think about society and what's Mm -hmm. best for most. Um, The opposite is true on the other side. Um, But most importantly, I, I struggle with the Democratic Party in terms of what Mm-hmm. It's giving back to black women, right? Uh, like right now, we know that the Chitlin Circus is starting. Every politician is right. going to be in every black church singing, dancing, mm-hmm. badly mm-hmm. moving and apologizing and all the shenanigans. Mm-hmm. But yet, once they get in office, you get sidetracked it again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what, can you walk me a little bit through that? Did I know you it's say a complicated the circuit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've been watching um, uh, Dolo Dynamite. What's that? Eddie Dolomite. Murphy? Dolomite. And it was really good. <laughs> it was really Dolomite good. Dolomite was really good. It was really good. It He's was a hustler, a good movie. by the way, it, was, man. it actually had a deeper, it really did. A deeper message than like black exploitation. Like if you understand. Anyway, um, no, no, we we're gonna get back to that. We're gonna get back to Dolomite. Dolomite. Was awesome. <laughs> um, it was it was beautiful. <clears throat> so. <laughs> Our relationship, again, with this country is super complicated. I think the biggest mistake that was made in 2016, and I think that there's some complicity in multiple spaces, was making both both parties, but specifically both candidates, as if they were the same evil. 
Mm, um, that's interesting. A lot of people who voted for Clinton didn't like Clinton, right. but they voted they for swallowed. Clinton yeah. because, well, not so much about swallowing, is that to understand the things that need to be, to understand how fragile black life is in this country, right? I like to think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So last year I was training in Flint. And they have, when you talk about the heartland of America that built our cars, like built our systems, built, allowed us to have transportation and the way we've abandoned that city, like many other cities like Pittsburgh and just, just, just like blue steel, you know, esque cities throughout America. When you're asking them, what is it that they need? You know, for those that are, have remained engaged, usually probably through unions that are also being attacked right now, um, they recognize that it's not so much about the character that has the D or the R, it's about what they stand for and what needs to be protected, right? And unfortunately, in 20, uh, Brittany Cooper, um, amazing professor, but also author, made it very clear that like, where a lot of people were talking about how Trump and Hillary were both like millionaires and had all this money. She, with family in Louisiana, was thinking about who's the one that's going to care if their lights were on. Yep. Who's the one that's going to care um, if um, about like police brutality? Who's the one that like they themselves may even have you know, because of, of whiteness, maybe blind on a lot of issues, 100%. but who do you have entry to, to voice those issues? And so one of the things that I know is very glaring is when I worked on the Hill, I worked on the Hill the last time the Dems were in power, um, when the Affordable Care Act was about to pass. We knew that the passage of Affordable Care Act was going to bring what ended up being the Tea Party takeover, yeah. right? Um, but at the same time, what we also recognized was that because Obama was in office, we had access to the White House. And I think yeah. we, as a nation, we got used to that access to the White House, <laughs> that even as movement, movement, you know, which had a lot of issues, as they should in many ways with Obama, but we only knew that it was important because Obama's administration responded to it. That's true. Trump yeah. has an agenda, and there are many of us, many folks screaming about what's not going well, and all he cares about is his image, and things are falling apart, right? Like, people don't even know that we don't even have a full working, like, executive government because he hasn't appointed everyone into positions right. and so many people have left. So, like, we're, we're, we're so on crutches that at the end of the day, beyond the tweets and the punditry, there are lives that are connected to when things fall apart, literally when things fall apart. So black life is not necessarily participatory in, or our participation is not because of loyalty, but, but, but necessity. Right. And yes, at times we are also carrying the oppression of other communities. Yep. So we are, we do care that there are poor mothers in Appalachia that 100%. Live what our lives are going through, or we do care that there are babies right now that still that are being adopted by white families because they can't get reunited to the parents that were seeking asylum in this country. But that's also because we also know that family separation isn't new. Of course, and we know that people us. don't necessarily scream for when we're being stripped away from yep. our babies. So our weird relationship, especially as black women and girls with oppression, has forced us to. Uh, participate purely because if we don't, um, we know it's not even so much if we if we don't that we guarantee or don't guarantee because percentage wise it's not even that we're enough of the population um, to necessarily sway one particular vote or not. Although we are important, we're the most loyal or we're the most active group. But the reality is because we don't have other people within society fighting for us. We know that we have to not only fight for ourselves, but we can't rely on anybody. Can else I to double fight down on that a little bit? The Democratic Party cannot win without your vote. That, no, that I, is a fact. So I, I, how, do you how do you how do you demand more, knowing that is the fact? We do, well, we do demand more. I don't think it's about how, but I do think that uh, what ultimately is happening and isn't happening is that a we are putting cracks as to who the who an ideal candidate would be, but ideal candidate also doesn't mean a pure candidate. And I know that this was a conversation you all were gonna raise with like Black Women For, um, but Black Women For is, is a new coalition led by Angela Peoples um, and uh, an amazing steering committee of leading movement leaders that I think one of the, my favorite tweets was somebody said, looking at this list of the 
uh, 100, first 100, which I was a part of that team, first 100 women who are saying that we've reviewed everything and we see a lot of similarities in a lot of candidates, but after doing these listening sessions, we are we are endorsing Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Um, one of the tweets was, just looking at each, each any of these women, if I were walking down the street, I know they would fight for me. And I think that that's the power of this group of individuals. When you think of the like the Charlene Carruthers, the Carmen Barclays, um, the you know N uh, Nalini Stamps, the like people that on their own, the Tia Osos, like are out in the street, have been disrupting literally since before the movement for Black Lives Movement, and now have like literally almost like Captain Planet, you know, their, their energy together to say there is a different way that Black women can even look at these candidates. And it doesn't have to sound like um, the Chitlin circuit yeah, that yeah, you mentioned. Um, and I don't think it was a surprise, but for some people it was a shock that like, oh, you all are Black women and you didn't endorse Kamala Harris. And I'm like, like black people have never been that simple yeah. and black people have always been looking for candidates that are going to advance their needs in the most progressive and radical way. Um, and that doesn't, but that also doesn't mean that there aren't things about Kamala that we don't like. Of it's course. not a, it's not an either or, yeah. but our narrative, our media is so simple minded and how they view the way that we do things. Well, what I like to say is that we're not a monolithic group, which they're, you know, we, we always grouped in and as all thinking the same, feeling the same, like, you know, one of the things I often talk about is that I'm, I'm from Haiti mm. and I was born in Haiti. So my history is mm -hmm. different than the Afri right. average African-American person. So mm -hmm. I see things differently also. Mm -hmm. so it's great. Yeah. yeah. So I want to jump in real quick and go back a little bit to Obama because you were talking about yeah. when things change with ACA. Fast forward to what's, you know, he's been in the spotlight a bit. People are bringing up kind of neoliberalism a bunch and oh, all our different ways that we feel. <laughs> so a tweet from you, by the way. <laughs> so we know you have some feelings feel the on same this. Way. <laughs> I know we've chatted about it a little bit on the pod, but well, I'll, I'll go a little bit further. Go. So I was telling the fellows, there's two articles I saw. There was the New York Times and there was New York Magazine. Now they did have different headlines and I think mm -hmm. your immediate way to react it really depends on which article you read first. <laughs> uh, I read New York Times first. Mm -hmm. Then I did see someone put up the New York Magazine article and yeah. I read through it. And so what I read him basically saying is, I hope someone, the next person's more, you know, more progressive than me, moves the needle more than I have, um, while at the same time realizing there's all these different things that we couldn't do. Now, he's, he's a classic neoliberalism. He was never a Bernie or Warren progressive. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Um, and so, never could be. I mean, right. I think people need to understand yeah. that. So I guess that's where I'm getting a little yeah. stuck because it's, you know, people are really going after him a little bit on this. And I'm like, what, we knew what he was, mm. and he still did a lot. And I think from someone, you know, the way I look at things as being someone who's been an entrepreneur, there's a lot of things that I've wanted my different entities and businesses to mm -hmm. go, but it's always not that easy. You mm -hmm. get tripped up, you know, things you're, you're dealing with different employees or people. Mm -hmm. It's just, a, it's a messy world. Yeah. And he inherited a messy situation too, mm -hmm. even just getting the Affordable Care Act. Absolutely. The second he did that, everything blew up for him. Yeah. No, I think so. So I don't know. There's so many different critiques. Yeah. It depends on what circles you're in. So there's so many different critiques of Obama. I like to say that, um, what, one of the things that I think a lot of um, in the in the in the non monolithic space of of people of color thought the one thing that I think we I, I always want to make room for is that you can still love the person and the man and you should still be able to critique. Yep. And I do think that there are people that are uncomfortable with the fact that there are people of color, that notably black Obama. people, yep. that critique Obama and have <laughs> always true. critiqued Obama. For sure. I worked for a member um, when I first started on the Hill. He's no longer here. But there was deep tensions between Obama and, and the CBC, um, as there should be. And it didn't mean that they didn't support him, but there's also a deeper history. I mean, this was also an individual who at one point, like, challenged a CBC member for a House seat and that he didn't win, but then he went to the Senate. So there's like a whole, there's a whole history there of people that have really um, been questioning this like tension between idealism and even populism. Pragmatism. 
um, with just the practicality of like, do you understand like the scaffolding that's like spaces, even like the CBC, which also gets critiqued as it should, um, but the scaffolding of what it meant um, when I transitioned to, you know, Judiciary Committee working for Conyers, Conyers just died. Like when you think of the co the founder of the CBC just dying, that's how soon of history that we're talking about when it comes to like black leaders and black leadership. It wasn't a long time ago as like people as people like to say. So Obama is still here with a generation that's also like has had challenges. Now obviously that generation is not the one dominating like Twitter and what have you. He also came in and inherited inherited uh, probably what I think still is the most um, radical movement that we've had in our lifetime that has really shifted the way things have thought. And it doesn't mean that we haven't had Occupy or that things that came after weren't impactful, but literally the movement for black lives, which still to this day, any person on any street or any child can hashtag black lives matter. And you know what they're talking about probably is going to get more props in the future, in the way like Warhol and whatever, because it just, it disrupted so much in what we were doing. And I think that the recent critiques that people, the recent critique that I've had of Obama is his critique of that movement yeah. or his critique of movement. Yeah. Mind you, at a time when he was also courting movement yeah. right. in the White House and having roundtables. So in my mind, I'm blown. And this <laughs> is not the first time that I've heard him make statements about like, you all are doing great work. Work, but you need to also recognize like the and I think it's there's a there's a paternalism that he's not recognizing that he's doing yep. uh, and basically making it seem like you all don't know enough to be talking this way and motherfuckers are like you was a community organizer like right, you, you were us yeah. Yeah, what's funny us. is he used to get that from older members in the house and the senate in the black community he was that that guy who would come in and say hey Let's try something but more think, radical. But and I think that's why I'm forgiving of him because like he's at the end of the day, he's human. Like and not human in a way that like I have to dismiss his actions. Right. But like people are fickle. Like they don't, they're short-sighted about this is this is what I do believe in my gut. And I'm saying right. this as somebody who was counsel in Pennsylvania, like literally yelling at judges that were telling people to show your ID when that wasn't even the law. Like a lot of fucked up shit happened when he was trying to be president. And sure. many, many folks probably even here like did various things. We all felt like we were connected to that campaign. Oh, right. Course. So that's I remember the part. being in the streets when he was seriously. <laughs> like, I mean somebody showed a picture the other day of Kamala like in an office with her boots and her like yeah. like woolly cat. Like you Because you, it meant so much. It meant yeah. so much. I mean, right? you know, geez. like and and in New York City we were dealing with Hurricane Sandy and I was put, literally putting like candlesticks together to fuck and like see my computer like the results and so like there's so much emotion that we yeah, all have sure. tied to his campaign right. which is why I feel like it's hurtful yeah, 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 to yeah, hear yeah. his comments from people that have supported him but aside from that I don't I do not think I think in the way it was a uh, Chris Rock that said like we'll know true equality when like a black person can be mediocre yep. like when and he does fucked up shit I also have to take a step back yep. and say that like why wouldn't he adopt certain versions of like supremacy and, and patriarchy and even just the elitism of well, one politics. Of, one of the things I often you know recognize is that the guy is literally one of the most powerful men on earth still. Mm -hmm. And he belongs to a very, very small group. Mm -hmm. His socioeconomic status, his fame, mm -hmm. everything that he is. So in some ways, you kind of expect him to be out of touch to a certain degree, which is very much a human thing. He's out of touch, but I don't, where it's dangerous. So I want, again, we can talk about our feelings about Obama. This administration came in and the FBI started targeting people that were a part of the movement for black lives. They literally called activists black extremists. Yeah, yeah. Many of us are on lists because of this administration. So when you come out and say something about this movement, that is dangerous. That is so true. my biggest issue was not about how I felt personally. Yep. It's that, unfortunately, if you're you're privileged enough to not be in the group of, of a black activist. You can give your opinion. You can say, well, he's a good guy. But when you actually do the work, it actually is problematic when the person that they know is the most powerful voice still in the black voice between yeah. him and Michelle Obama, yeah. when you come out at your own people, then it's a problem. Yeah, you give that you give opposition credence. I mean, literally, even, Massa has his yeah, foot up. Like yeah. that, it was an un, to true. me, it was an unnecessary comment. Yeah. That's how I felt. So I want to talk about media narratives, which is always a, a fun one. But just extending on Obama, I mean, the narrative right now is Mayor Pete is kind of the Obama guy. 
At least that's what they're trying to play at. Mayor Pete. Uh, Pirates boot. Sorry to that man. I just, I, I don't, I don't think that that's, I don't think, and there are a lot of people on his campaign that I respect. He's up big in Iowa. Not that that matters. Mm-hmm. It's too early. Mm-hmm. Isn't he not doing well with the black vote? Right I think he's well, polling well, at like point one percent. Yeah, right. re- recently they yeah. found out that he actually f- <laughs> like uh, forged a paper to show that there were black leaders who actually endorsed him and said they were supporting him, which never happened. It's so bad. he's, yeah, your man, and I, you know, there's something I, I have absolutely nothing about. But why him is that the I like. media consistently trying to be like? He doesn't seem positive to me. I actually think he's been an asshole on a lot of the debate stages. But they keep the media loves him. They keep wanting him to be the positive guy. That's true. He's the Obama hope guy. God. I don't. I don't see where that's coming from. But that is the narrative I keep reading. Is it because he's sort of like a moderate, right? Because there was this thing where. No, he's from middle America. You think America we're just dipping around the obvious? I think we're dipping around the obvious. I think that um, there is a desire uh, we, to we, have a gay candidate, or to think that we're progressive. Uh. I think there. I think. I think there is. There is. Um, I think media is both uh, liberal in desire oh, and true. controlling because of the shit that we are right. talking. Birth of a nation. Like yeah, we, yeah, there yeah. is an inheritance of like who's right, who's wrong. Media looks like Budichet. Um, I can't say his last name, but the media if, kind I don't, of. No? I don't. I I think I just think that there is a desire. Um, and and this is also where to be clear. Um, we didn't see, or at least we didn't hear as much because like that that blue wave that happened. Um, you know, with the Ocasio's and the what have you. We also had like some black women trans advocate, you know, uh, leaders that were elected on a local level. And so I do think that the, my frustration is I don't mind an inclusive way of talking about who should lead in this country. I do think that we still, um, I think there's a lot about him that makes him attractive for media as far as thought pieces and just popular culture. Like, sure, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's gay and he's married. He's uh, a mayor and a young mayor. He's served in the, in the Midwest and he's served in the military. Yep. Like he has this combination <laughs> he of checks stuff. A lot of he checks list. a lot of boxes that yeah. media would want him to stay in because it gives them fucking viewership. It allows him, and even him being an asshole is part of the reason why people are like, can y'all believe this guy? And, and that's actually selling like an image. Now, poll wise, I think that, you know, I, I am a little anxious. Like we actually need to start getting serious about, um, <laughs> identifying a candidate, any candidate, so sure. we can rally. Because anybody who's done electoral work is like, so we actually don't have as much time as people think that we have to really like get people around this candidate. And like, let's explore that because I don't mind exploring. We should be playing. What if this person is candidate? Yep. If Budacek is the is the is the nominee, we are talking about whether you fucking like it or not. Doing some serious work in the deep south. Doing some serious work with even like loyal voters that attend church or don't understand like LGBTQ, you know, advocacy or equity. That takes time to then say this person should also take care of you, your children, your family. That, that is something that if that is the case, I want us to get serious about it. And I want to be able to support a serious candidate. And to be clear, all of them have their flaws for the ones that are a little older. You have to convince people that this person is going to last for the next four years. And these aren't, easy conversations but if you think like a political strategist you're already trying to hit the ground running and the problem i have is media has the luxury because they're also not diverse of wasting fucking time on somebody that's not polling enough for us to give a damn about what the fuck like who he is right he should like go write a book or go to like harvard and be, like do a lecture series but he should not be wasting our time because he's just not polling even at 10 percent. so it's not right. even worth it and iowa dot 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 like it's not necessarily the states that obviously are going to pull it this year are going to be pretty much the same consistent states and we're definitely talking about ohio pennsylvania you know the carolinas maybe and like iowa is there to kind of get people energized to get the ground running obviously it's a momentum um kicker but then when we get back to the east coast it's like yeah it's warren land and now that what's his name's entered the the race miguel bombito no, 
<laughs> no, I'm talking about um, Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Duvall. Oh, um, yeah. I'm Patrick. Oh, Patrick. Oh, oh, Patrick Duvall. Like they're oh, they, Duvall. Yeah. Yeah. Like Patrick, uh, um, well, however we feel. <laughs> like I, again, I know him, but yeah. <laughs> it's it up until that point. We're talking about the Northeast has mostly been like Warren and to an extent Bernie, and now you've got Duvall. There, like there are things that I think are complicating this race unnecessarily when the real focus. Um, and again, this is where I think Obama should have said it, and this is what I think he was trying to get to, was like, let's keep the focus the focus, and that doesn't mean that other things aren't the focus, Yeah. but I don't think Budacek is the focus, but media wants him to be so the, why the darling. Whew. On top of the fact that she has a plan for every goddamn thing. She does have a plan. She does have a True. plan, and it's also a plan that, you know why, Warren? By the way, like, even rich Democrats do not like her, which I find interesting. But that 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 no surprise. That doesn't surprise me. They just sent a letter to the DNC saying if she's the candidate, they won't go for her. I mean, forget what's true or not. That's that's the letter they sent. The okay, key, so the great. Some people on the point zero one percent. This is what But I'm that saying. matters. Like, they have money though. Um, she's really. literally break up the bank's candidate, just like Bernie is. No, of course they hate her. Yeah, yeah. like. But the, what was your what was your? I think that's good PR for her. Iffy. I think it's awesome PR yeah, for her. Great. I, the people who are gonna come out. Are not the people who are going to fund this are going to be the same people funding races. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but those are not those people are not enough to. <laughs> now, what's enough to fuck up a, a vote is voter suppression. The, yeah. the issue that I think we are not talking enough about is that all this shit happened before Russia. People are making as if Russia was the genesis of what fucked up you know our elections when it's really like in addition to the design of the electoral college being whack but like Shelby V Holder Shelby V Holder and I worked on like to, like we saw that case and we predicted 2016 without even knowing What's the quick the on nominees. that case? Shelby V Holder was the case that was about the Voting Rights Act. It literally eviscerated the Voting Rights Act. So the quick the the quick and dirty for people that are listening, there because of the racist history that our nation had, there were a cluster of cities that had to get permission for any change. And I mean literally, you literally change the color of whatever a voting postcard looked like to, that would go to you, you would have to get pre, what they called preclearance. That that section five of the Voting Rights Act went out the window. And once that happened, what we started to see was the continued manipulation, mostly impacting not just black voters, but poor elderly black voters um, that are consistent voters yeah, yeah. that weren't able to go to their polls because the libraries were shut down or if they would call the Secretary of State phone number, it was busy, which is what happened to us when we were in Pennsylvania. So like that with Russia... Right. And then now we're talking about rich people. There's always been like a conspiracy to control sure. elections. Um, for me, Warren, I am. Yes, Warren has a plan. I think she was a smart senator. Um, I don't necessarily see her as somebody that's doing this for anything personal, to be honest with you. And that kind of comes off well for her. But I also am actually comforted by the fact that Warren is a former. She can. She believes in capitalism. I am not necessarily a capitalist, but this is a capitalist system. nation. Yep. So I actually need somebody that understands how to disrupt this system. You're absolutely right. The banks hate her. Like that whole Dodd Frank. Like. Yep. Oh, yeah. like, like she like it's the closest that we've gotten to somebody being accountable for like wiping out 60% of African American yep. wealth. Um, and she is a former Republican. So she also understands. Oh. I don't understand why she doesn't say that more. I actually think that's a positive I in her think voting. So, but I understand oh, how interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I, I think know that in, about her. I think yeah, in the come I from think Oklahoma. With, uh, oh yeah, that makes sense. But yeah. I think in the general election, that is a bonus. I think so. I I, I don't know. I th and I think we'll hear more about it because again, she's gonna if she's the nominee, she's gonna have to court the South and she's gonna have to court the Midwest and especially court white women. Many white women, if their husbands are Republicans, they tend to vote with their husbands. But we are starting to see a little bit of a break in the 2016 um, midterm cycle where there are a lot more Republican women that are second get. So I think, to your point, I think she could really connect with households to disrupt the vote pattern. When, when you, obviously, there's no perfect uh, candidate. So what are some of the things you hope she improves upon? Um, I do think that the critique that's coming out now is that they're lumping her and Bernie, and I think she, I think she's doing enough, and I think Bernie's camp knows it. I think she's doing enough to not 
like we know the difference between her and Bernie. I think she's going to have to do more of that. I think people see Bernie as um, the the um, extreme left candidate. And I actually I was a Bernie supporter in 2016. I think Bernie is the heart of where the country is going. I do not think that Bernie, I think Bernie has a purpose. I don't necessarily know if it's to be president. You think Liz is the brain? I think, I just think Liz may be the right candidate. I think she will actually implement things. I think sometimes, to your point, Bernie's so far to the side. I wish we could get there, but the Overton window might not be there. And it's about who will work with you. Right. So right. people need to understand that when he was on the Senate, he, his his only, I he didn't have the strongest, most robust legislative right. history. He voted on the right side of everything, everything, but he did not almost everything, but he did not have the power to sway people. So you got to really think about somebody who was an independent and an independent who fundraised outside mm. of the Democratic Party. When he didn't win, get the nominee in 2016, he went back to being an independent. So this is also somebody that hasn't built the trust within the institution in, in the way that I think she has done. I do think, though, Bernie has this thing. I know for me especially that a lot of people love him because of that. Bernie has been on the right side of history since we've known him. Most right? times, he was but the not guy. all the time. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna deny give, him. His give history. me some examples. Well, of, I think he was on the crime bill. I think people focus a lot on, but, but don't, but don't a lot of Democrats that, were on that crime no, bill too, including members of the CBC. But there are statements that he's made about even black communities that are troubling to me, and I don't, and I, and they've been brought up, and I think people dismiss them. But I don't think, I think that we have to be honest. Even the Bidens, like I have to, I think we have to be honest that you can vote on the right side of things, but but your sentiments about my community. Community also matters. But which white candidate has not done something similar? But I don't think that, that I don't think we have to do the the like, but who has it? Because we live in a racist society. Right, so yeah, like to me, we could focus on cops, but we could also focus on teachers. Most people in society, whether they want to accept it or not, have some form of racism uh, yeah, and, and have some system. evidence of it. My problem with Bernie is that I don't think, I think it's very detrimental to be like, this person has been showed up at the right rallies and this person has shown up at the right, you know, anti. What that shows me is you're consistent. For 2019, I need to know that you can implement the shit that you're saying, which means that to implement it, and this is also where Obama had issues. Obama was effective in one space and really one space, like without any question, the economy. As far as everything else, he was not able to get anything passed through Congress, but for executive order. Executive order was the only power that he had. That is a serious narrative that I actually think if I wrote, if I was like a full-time journalist, I would really focus on how who was going to work with the people that are mm. there, right? But, but, but so, a lot of Republicans, as soon as Obama won, they've already made their minds that they weren't going to work with him right. because of who he was, right. right? So some of that was really, really almost nearly right. impossible. So in some ways, Warren, to be clear, I think Warren actually has a leg up from Obama and actually has a larger pool of especially senators that would be willing, because the House is one thing, because the House is hopefully going to have a stronghold being dim for quite some time. The Senate is a problem. Yep. And I think that she has been able to have sensible enough conversation and has had bipartisan legislation before move that, that matters when it's like getting shit done. I know it sounds some, so wonky, look, but we, we can hate on some of them being friends behind the scenes, but if she can get shit done with that friendship, I am okay with it all day long. It's, it's a messy world, but at the end of the day, we need someone to just go to the other side on some of these votes. Speaking of getting things done, now mm -hmm. this is complicated, so we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, yeah. but one of the things she's getting killed for is the um, Medicaid for all. Mm. And, you know, the other side arguments is how do you pay for that? Right, and I right, think right. they use it as a scare tactic to of tell course. people, this woman is coming for everything you have to give poor people your stuff, of course. euphemism, sure. black people your stuff, whatever that means. Yeah. I, how, how did she explain that to think, these people? Look, I don't think it was no different than ACA. Um, I do think that the thing with the Affordable Care Act that we, many of us really hoped that got pushed for was public option. Mm. 
for the sheer fact that we knew that the next incoming president could do what has been happening now. ACA is not what people thought and needed it to be at that time. And now it's literally almost at ground zero. It's pretty bad what our options are with ACA. Um, and to be clear, if you're going to make that big of a gamble, what was the trade-off? The same thing was the same thing. Um, when ACA was being put forward behind the scenes, what maybe the general public didn't know was that there were many Dems that were like, we shouldn't just push for ACA, we should push for immigration right now. Because mm. there was enough in the tea leaves that were like, mm. for the sheer fact that this is a black president, there's always, the pendulum always wants to swing back to like regaining power in some way, right? Mm. We didn't know it was going to be 80 Tea Party people, but we had a sense that like the House was going to lose it. We knew that there was going to be some loss. So it's, a, it's almost like, get what you want now. Yeah. And so Medicaid for all is a weird messaging point for for Dems, and I think that's why not all of them, I think most of the Dems in their heart want it. I think yeah. they're not messaging it yeah, yeah. because they recognize that we have a history of people using it as a fear, yeah. you know, fear mongering tool. Yeah. Um, and dog whistle politics makes even the the poor, um, poor Dem person feel yeah. like, I only have a little bit. Yeah. I can't afford for you all to take the little bit that I have for sure. to go towards Medicaid for all. Even though that's not what would yeah, happen, I do think that there's enough there that makes people feel insecure when it comes to economics. Because what I'm realizing is facts don't really change people's minds. It's stories. Well, it's, it's not kind just, of weird. And also people are scared. I don't think we focus enough on the fact of how fragile people are. People aren't stupid. You know, people are scared. And I think that that's... Some people aren't stupid. <laughs> I'm going to say people aren't stupid because I also want to give people the intelligence to be like, we have enough to make the choices that we need to make. Um, and we need to start speaking to people like adults and not as babies. And I think that's the, where Trump is excelling is Trump validates the people that don't necessarily <laughs> need all the facts yeah. and he makes them feel powerful, which is a, which is the threat to all of us really dangerous. <laughs> Ed, you've been deep in thought over there and yeah. I, I know you got some stuff. <laughs> well, you, I mean, you all up are really, really on the, the contemporary stuff. I just like to go deep into the history and, and mm -hmm. see the long kind of predictable historical record of a lot of the things that happened today that don't really surprise me. But right. the, I don't know, the whole Trump and his electorate not running on facts, like the whole thing, like the Southern strategy is not premised on facts, right? right. And also information. It's like people, people that wanna say Trump supporters are just stupid and ill-informed and are being duped and tricked is false. I'm not saying that you all said that, mm -hmm. but just that I think mm -hmm. that that touches on a lot of people's notion of it. Mm -hmm. And information is just inherently social. People, information like, you know, knowledge production comes from trusted sources. If mm -hmm. you trust somebody within your sociological group, um, you're gonna trust that information over other non-social groups that you don't trust. It just happens that all the actual uh, institutions based on evidence happen to fall in, you know, on, in the, on the Democratic side, on the progressive side, rather than sort of the, the, the uh, you know, Republican electorate and, and, and deep, deep right wing. People are not stupid. They vote in their interest. Um, there is an interest in, in, in what Trump is, is selling, um, you know, which is whiteness. Um, and there yeah. are tangible facts to that, not just psychological. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not just the W.E.D. Boyd psychological wage. It's actually material wages, too. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the whole notion that they are just ill-informed is... It, 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 based on the facts they are, but they're not. They're, it, it, they're getting information from trusted sources because information is inherently social. Right. So that's how I look at it. You know, I don't think. You know, I, you know, I don't know. This is my take. I don't know. Mm -hmm. no, but that's like that's more that's, of like a just sort of a longer treatment. No, that's real. I think it's real. The idea that simply if you give them facts and you treat them a certain way and you tell them the truth and it's just about that and they, they're hurting and it's economics. That's not always the case. I mean, he validates whiteness for some people and he tells them that, look, your stuff is being taken by Jose and Jim mm -hmm. and that matters. So and I like think you, we and, need and, to and address that. Not, and that's not new. Yep. Right. Like it's the history. The, the, like we have always. Um, again, I keep going back to Birth of a Nation, but I don't think people understand. Love, like you keep going back to that. Love well, that. because Birth of a Nation was the first mm. blockbuster for the United States. That's mm. fucking crazy. Like yeah. our, every time I look at the Oscars, and I'm I'm like an early screenwriter, but I also recognize right? that this shit is rooted 
in like the glorification of who I forget who the president was at that time. Woodrow Wilson. Which yeah, was right yeah, and, in the White House. And yeah, yeah. In the White House yeah, was, and <laughs> felt like it was the like the the, fa- the like thing. literally foundation. But if yeah. you look at the storyline of it, the storyline is built on fear. It yep. is literally the first um, illustration, aside from the postcards and all the other forms. It was the first motion picture that showed white America what you should be afraid of oh, now sure. that these Negroes are mm-hmm. out. The lost cause. And, and that's the engine of racism, gets, right? Fear. That keeps getting repeated. I don't think so. No? No. I think that there's, I think that's symptomatic of, of racism. It's a symptom. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, Frederick Douglass actually said something interesting, uh, and I don't want to get it wrong, but he said um, r- slavery... slavery what did not happen because of racism, but racism happened, happened because, because of, of slavery, slavery, right? And I think when you really play with that, and it's more fucked up, which is why I usually, when I catch myself, I don't just say capitalism, I say racialized capitalism, because that's actually what we have. Right, 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 that right. It actually, so it's been connected. It's connected. Yeah. So the fear that the the high, the 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 very simple dog whistle um, that the majority of people are gravitating to is this protection of white whiteness but the deeper because to be clear he has donors yeah. <laughs> that are pretty deep and pretty educated oh, 100%. so the understanding of like f- the fragility of capitalism as is in what you're trying to protect not even capitalism what it could be like Tulsa Oklahoma right to be clear Black Wall Street was capitalist that was capitalism but capitalism from an economy standpoint still has forms of socialism in it there's still a form of community protecting the dollar circulating the dollar like they were doing that and what happened it got bombed so we don't really want capitalism in society what donors want is racialized capitalism Mm. because you have to still have an oppressed group and you have to have a poor and then you have to also have people what i call kind of like the moderate whites right people that are pissed off but But, comfortable enough (laughs) to not and 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 it's it's either the comfort or they don't know enough to know how to disrupt it and i think that that's i think we're in a space now where there are people that would do more if they knew how to disrupt it but i also think we um, glamorize that like there's a lot of risk that you would have to take even to life and liberty mm-hmm. if you actually want to see that form right. of right. well I think that I, to you, your point about the the white moderates I mean that goes back to you know letter in the Birmingham jail like MLK and stuff and this, and oh, this yeah. dude I remember that. Adam Sherwer mm-hmm. he wrote a really good article recently about civility I forget the title of it but it's for the Atlantic um, mm-hmm. he wrote, he's, write, he's written a lot of dope shit he talks about like the death of civility or something like that. And he harkens back to um, white moderates and MLK lambasting them in his letter in the Birmingham jail and how um, they favored peace over justice Mm -hmm. because the process of, of, um, of justice um, is a tumultuous one. It creates Mm -hmm. conflict. Like that's actually the healthy process that exists. But in getting there, um, it's through means of incivility or uncivility, however, right. whichever word is correct. But but it's like, and how a lot of people now are talking about, um, you know, oh, it's so, it's tribalism. Number one, it's not tribalism. And also like, oh, the people, the way that they talk to each other, people are, are sort of harkening back to that. It's the same thing. Wanting civility and less conflict and more manners over like the actual process, the healthy process of like justice happening. People who are, who are aggrieved and historically, um, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, kept you know sort of the, their rights being taken from them, actually gaining them, gaining more voice, gaining more cultural and political power, um, and it's going to be messy. But that's actually mm-hmm. like the healthy yeah. process. That I mean, that's exists. how change come about. Mm-hmm. That's how change actually happens, right? So, and we glorify that change when people become martyrs. It's it's a very weird, I mean, to your point about manners, it's also the critique people are having about Michelle Obama as well. Like people are mm. like, if you really read, and I loved Becoming, and I also know that I related to it as somebody who like in many ways had somewhat of a similar educational like experience as her, like there are trade-offs that you make to be smart in America as a black woman. And so I read it differently. I didn't read her book the way the critique is of her book, but I do understand the critique that people have as far as like, there is a form of like understanding whether you like it or not, respectability politics, just to be either either to, either to compete or to survive. And I do think that there is, I do think Obama has a heart for activists not dying young. I do think he feels like, like 
this country is not there yet to actually meet your demands and wants people to stay in the long haul to be able to fight longer. The unfortunate thing is we list off the people from the Medgar Evers, but even to the Sandra Blands of people that have always been vocal and recognize that this whole thing is fake and like, and that speaking truth is the most dangerous thing that you can do in this nation. Um, yeah. So I think that one of the things that I'm trying, I'm trying to do is like, we can talk about politics, but if we only talk about liberation in the sense of just politics, we're missing it because it was never designed to free us. Like we would have to find other ways that freedom would come, come about and freedom is not peace. And that's what people don't get. So right. we're about to, Oh, just one last, because oh, okay. but also, uh, I was willing to mention gone with the wind. 1939. There's so much. And, and, and it's the same. It it's is. in the same vein of, of Birth of a Nation, right? The lost cause and the South was, was they fought honorably and they were gallant and it was a, just a Southern way of life and two cousins and it was a misunderstanding. That's what the Civil War was. It was a complete, you know, lost cause rendering of it, which was, which was completely false. But, but going with the wind, you talk about cultural power. Um, I've been reading, I've been trying to get the numbers, but some, Numbers do say that Gone with the Wind, adjusted for inflation, is the highest grossing movie mm -hmm. of all time. Mm -hmm. Not Avengers, not Joker. Mm -hmm. It's Gone with the Wind, which, mm -hmm. is, which is just a, a huge stamp on the sentiment of what this country thinks about its history and, um, and, and the correct rendering of it. But also recognize that to reach those kind of numbers, you also had to be an international hit. True. So we don't talk about how anti-blackness is global. Right. We don't oh, yeah. talk about like how the portrayal of like black women as mammies and like, like, yeah. like when you think of like uh, how um, how many spaces, even in homogeneous spaces, the one thing you don't want to be is dark. Mm. That's a powerful thing. Right. One of my best friends in law school, she is from Korea, but she talks about how everybody used to ask her if she was half black because of her complexion. There's absolutely no way I would have judged that she was half black, but purely because of complexion. The one thing that you don't want to be is dark. And even in Nigeria, where my family is from, number one bleaching nation in the world, like the one thing you don't want to be is dark. And we have to investigate why that is, why you can be in this country and, and, and even march for certain communities. But then when it comes to black people, there is a weird, almost inherited um, mindset that we have that you almost have to confront and break down. And um, I think this is also why alliance building, even with, you know, black groups and African groups, black groups and Latino groups, black groups and white groups. It's difficult because we're not, we don't want to be honest with the fact that we all are born into this world, not wanting to be dark, not wanting to be black. Um, and, and, and that is a hard, um, harsh reality. Um, but yeah, Gone with the Wind could not be that way without people around the globe also accepting it as like an American staple. Except when we're in the sun. <laughs> so chocolate, the, baby. The, the chocolate. last thing I want to bring up before we, we go is is Cap. We have to at least touch on Kaepernick a little bit oh. just in this past weekend. I'm glad he's back. <laughs> Me too. Do you I, think, I think, I think so? I saw I a few articles of some a few people writing that they felt that he actually, even though he played the system perfectly this weekend, I mean, he made the NFL look so stupid. <laughs> um, that it, within all of that, he actually doesn't want to go back because he actually likes this part of his life that he's actually living now, mm -hmm. which is just being able to like be free in this. Is that, is that what he said? This was this article said uh, in the Atlantic and they're like, you know, he has all these other things he gets to work mm -hmm. on now. So by being able to run it this way, not only he, he show, yeah, I could be back, but this is actually not really where I want to be. I, I, I'm curious at where you all feel mm, on that. I think it was Max, a nuanced take to it. I hadn't yeah. seen before. I, I saw a piece with Max Kellerman the other yesterday on um, ESPN. And I think he had the best answer for this. I'm not so sure is that, Colin wants to be in the position that he is now. Also, the idea that he is the one who was done wrong, right? The man did not do anything wrong mm -hmm. except using a right which he has, right? He's still one of the top quarterbacks in the world, but yet he has to be the one that go out there and prove that he needs to be in the league and he needs to do it in whichever fashion the NFL deems is appropriate. Mm -hmm. And Colin is saying, no, because I didn't do anything wrong. 
And you, the onus is on you to prove that I've done something wrong. So why should I perpetually tell everything that you want me to do? So I'm going to come back, trying to come back with my convictions and my mm. beliefs and what I think it's right. I think those are two different things versus him not wanting to be back and just want to be a martyr. I think people want him to sort of like come back, bagging on his knees, saying, hey, give me a job and not mm. keeps his voice. And maybe that's what he has to do because they have the power. But he's saying that's not how I want to get back in this. So I, I'm not so sure. Mm that the two are the same, you know? So I think, I, you know. I can understand people being conflicted with Cap being back. Um, you know, I personally haven't watched football for three years and hell, my team won one of those years, go Eagles. But um, I also think, so I think there's a conflict just like um, a similar, but not the same, but a similar sentiment when the whole Jay-Z thing had occurred, right? So I do think that the timing of everything made people feel like, well, <laughs> wait a minute, in, in this, in, in within three months, we've seen Jay-Z not only create this partnership, but also say some Obama-esque type statements. For like, sure. You know, done, done kneeling, get the fuck up, yeah, right? Yeah. Like that was I'm kind of chess. his. Yeah. Right. And then, right. And Money. then, and then like, we see what, who the Super Bowl acts are and then it's right. like okay so like um so that capitalist way of looking um at like movement and like who gets to disrupt movement is frustrating and as people are still grappling with that then this happens right the overwhelming majority of people that i've been around have actually been though really supportive of him um going back people can, people have to remember that if the nfl and i'm playing i'm putting on my as best capitalist hat if they understood society well enough, mm -hmm. they would have fucking left him, him alone. They would have just let him kneel, not made a big deal about it, and they would have lost nothing. Yep. And he would have still been getting his millions. So what people need to understand is that Cap didn't kneel to be kicked off of a team. Because if yeah. he wanted to do that, he would have just walked away from the team. He wanted to, he he did it because he, the, in his own little private yeah, space of conviction, he yep. was like, I actually can't stand for this anthem. And I think that's the way we got to look at it is that like would we even be talking about this had he just kept kneeling which would have kept the conversation going which is what he originally wanted on police brutality um and he still would have been getting paid and we still would have loved him because we would have been people were loving him before he had left the nfl so i think that won the super bowl no no yeah. he didn't well, win. He he win the super bowl that could not happen because one, one, nfl responded to white people canceling the nfl cancel culture white people used it to cancel well, the nfl yeah. they're outraged yeah. mm -hmm. so they had to respond in a capitalist right. way yep. to the white audience yeah, who was completely outraged of. out of it so yeah. there, there was them yeah, who knows what their actual thoughts were i actually don't know but they i know that well, well, I, I, I spoke to some there were some folks behind the scenes at NFL, some of the, so to be clear, there were some real tensions for black people that worked within NFL companies. There were, there, there, sure. this was not an easy thing. Like, do I leave my job? This is what I worked hard for. If you were counsel, it was like, what the fuck? Um, you're absolutely right. They publicly responded to white rage yep. and white flight, but behind the scenes, the, the, the boycott of black watchers of the black viewers of the it NFL to hurt was hurting yeah. that, that yeah. bleeding out yep. and now they were conflict it was the NFL and police brutality all the time yep. being discussed that is not good marketing yep. <laughs> like, no. and, and Nike was like, using you know some Nike of that to push was then making every athlete an activist and I think was so smart making every athlete that typically would be shamed for how they were acting including yeah. Serena Williams yeah. when people were like what the fuck is this basically black girl yeah, because yeah, she's yeah. always being seen in a of dark course. way right. and then the next thing you know one of the best Nike like commercials ever so like the NFL and the NFL was missing out on that they're not yeah. making any profit off of basically what started off from them literally making Nike it crushes them of, the most it crushes them so I think that the Jay-Z thing, in my opinion, was a cheap way yeah. of getting I mean, there. that was strategic but by I, them, right? I, and I still think this is strategic. I think what's yet to be seen, to your point of the article, I do think that if in any way, shape, or form, he or his camp, because he has a pretty smart camp, yeah. if they feel like he's Jay? being used... No, oh, Kaepernick. Oh, yeah. If they feel like he's being used to silence him... I think he'll be out in a heartbeat. I don't. I don't think his right. conviction is like I. This is the only thing I need to do yeah. as far no. as football. Yeah. The other thing people tend to forget about him is the kid grew up with a ton of money, right? He never played football for money, 
Um, he's from a wealthy family, so sometimes people act as if he needs a paycheck in order to come don't back matter. to the NFL. I don't think don't I don't I don't think that that matters. Don't matter. I don't think that Not matters. I do think that it may matter. I do think he has to be clear. I mean, Colin is light skin. Colin is a kappa. <laughs> Colin is kappa? you know, Colin is a kappa. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even you know, know that. No. Oh, by the way, we got to do a segment on the whole Greek. kappa. I don't know anything no, about we it. Don't, we, don't don't know. we don't. We don't want to do that. We won't do that. The cute dogs. But I do. I do think that. Um, <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> happy belated birthday to all the cues. Um, but I do think that he has certain privileges that actually made him. I don't want to say the ideal. But he literally, again, if play with me on the art, like figuratively, that fool became dark skin when he got kicked out of the NFL. He did, he was no longer light skin, privileged Kaepernick. The NFL treated him like, just to be clear, Eric Reed, a whole bunch of other people knelt too. They didn't treat them the same way. Part of it is because like they were starting to see the valuation on the back end that like we're losing, we're really draining out. Um, our viewership in the people of color market, not in a way that necessarily meant that they were going to go bankrupt, but definitely in yeah, a way that it, it is money. hard for me to actually watch college football because of how these last three years have been. So my attitude has actually really changed. And to be clear, as somebody who actually went to law school to originally be a sports and entertainment lawyer, and like the Bible for me is the $40 million slave, yeah. football is actually a questionable sport about our power and what we actually can do in general. Especially college football, because they don't even get College football, it's, but and, and on both ends, yeah. right? So it's like, it's in, in some ways, he opened the door to people at the height of movement to start investigating what people are calling the like the million dollar plantation which is like this whole sports world right i do think he'll be absorbed by history though so but this is a great session <laughs> we're really grateful yeah for your presence and come back anytime appreciate thank you, you. thank you this was fun this was and fun. thanks for all the work that you do I appreciate that. Thanks Thank for you. all the work y'all are doing. We're trying. We're trying. <laughs> all right. Peace, y'all. Another episode in the books. We'll see you next week. 100. Peace. Peace.